This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. There's more to the case of fugitive Nissan Chief Executive Carlos Ghosn, and we'll tell you all about it. Uh, among other things that we'll talk about in the news. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Rudd. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine, and I always check the weather in Maine. I, I don't know whether it makes me feel good about myself or bad about myself, but I check uh, with Chris on that. Uh, so what do you have to tell me this week, Chris? Well, half the year, I think it's safe to say that it should make you feel quite good about yourself with your year-round 70s and sunny weather. But uh, here in Maine, we have now hit pollen season, which I'm not sure you have to deal with in Southern California. Well, if we had plants, we would. Actually, we do have plants. We just don't have water. And we have gray days. They have, call it uh, May gray here, and we're, we're experiencing that uh, here at the coast. I'm on the Southern California coast, so I can't complain about that too much. But uh, May and June are actually kind of gloomy months here, at least in the morning. So uh, we have that to deal with. But uh, And a little bit of pollen, and I think pollen really kicks up in the spring uh, around the country. I think you're right, but I think the people from New York and Connecticut and New Jersey are starting to notice that the weather is nice because there are a steady stream of them traveling northward as I speak now. Right, and uh, which brings us back to automobiles and, and motoring, which is what we're all about here. We're, n we're not about the weather or the climate, uh, although we do talk about it a bit because we are cross-country and we don't see each other on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, that's for sure, so it's nice to uh, chat a, a bit about that. We have a special guest for you this week. His name is Trevor Lai. He is manager of product planning at Hyundai. He will be talking about the all-new version of the company's most popular vehicle. That's the 2022 Hyundai Tucson. I had a chance to drive it recently uh, in, uh, oddly enough, Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> and then uh, Trevor and I had an in-depth chat about the vehicle, so I think you'll enjoy that, uh, that discussion we had. In the road test segment, Chris, tell us a bit about the vehicle that uh, you'll be talking about a little later. I spent the week with the 2021 uh, Toyota Venza. That's a vehicle that I've liked a lot, so uh, we'll see if you share my opinion on that. Uh, I had kind of a special treat. My uh, middle daughter graduated from college uh, this past Saturday, and so I was in Fort Worth, Texas with the family to celebrate that. And uh, the vehicle we had to shuttle ourselves around was the Lexus LX570, their full-size SUV. So we'll talk a bit about that and what, what we learned with uh, family shuttling in this uh, luxurious Lexus that we had. So uh, that will be coming up in the road test segment. But before we do that, let's talk about the latest in automotive news. And there is more to the Carlos Ghosn soap opera. As you probably remember from listening to America on the Road, uh, Carlos Ghosn was the f is the former Nissan chairman, and he was charged with tax evasion, not unlike, uh, I guess, uh, Al Capone <laughs> in his own way. Uh, that's how they got Al Capone. That's how they uh, went after Carlos Ghosn. He actually fled Japan as a fugitive and escaped to uh, Lebanon, where he 
hold citizenship. He actually holds citizenship in three different countries, which is handy, I guess, if you're going to be a fugitive to have all those passports. But one of his, um, his underlings at Nissan, a guy named Greg Kelly, he's a former Nissan executive, he's on trial for helping to underreport Ghosn's pay uh, to the tune of about $10 million per year. So he's being tried in Japanese courts. He's an American. He's a lawyer. And he also says he's innocent of all this uh, wrongdoing. He's, his claim is he was trying to find legal ways to get Ghosn paid. And so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Ghosn is certainly not going to testify at the trial, but he has talked uh, via proceedings that, that took place before he fled, <laughs> before he skipped bail, essentially, and uh, headed out to Lebanon. So We'll have to see how this all unfolds. Uh, you know, it's going to be bad news for Kelly if he goes to jail for this. He could face up to 15 years in prison. You know, how, how about that, Chris? You want to face 15 years in, in <laughs> Japanese prison? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, face a role, face for my role in a, in a, for it to help a person that is no longer in the country and has no plans to return. I don't, I don't know. It seems like these guys probably feel a little bit abandoned, although um, I guess it's not a surprise that he ran away. Um, although... I will say that it does make a very good story and will probably make a great movie someday. Yeah, it's just, it's so crazy. It's one of those uh, stranger than fiction kind of things. And two Americans actually helped Gone escape and they have been extradited from the United States to Japan to uh, stand trial in Japan. Uh, two guys named Michael Taylor and Peter Taylor, uh, a father and son bail jumping team apparently. So this is all unfolding and going safely in, in Lebanon. So there you have it. Well, in another story, and this is completely a, a different story, um, I had a chance to talk to some people at Pennzoil about their carbon neutral lubricants. Is this something you've heard of, Chris, a carbon neutral motor oil? It's not. I actually just wrote a story earlier this week about carbon neutral tire production. So this is going to be really interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see how interesting it is. But uh, their goal, of course, uh, their goal, Pennzoil, and uh, Pennzoil is part of Shell, Shell Lubricants. Uh, their goal is to be net zero in emissions uh, in by 2050 uh, or sooner. And so they're starting off by making a bunch of full synthetic motor oils that they say are carbon neutral. I think mainly the, the neutrality comes from offsets as opposed to there's doing something different with the production or even the chemistry of the oil. But they have several oils out there that are, and they're all zero uh, weight oils uh, that are fully synthetic that they are doing carbon offsets for. So they're committed to uh, this idea of being carbon neutral. And of course, even with electric cars, you need lubrication. You don't need engine oil the same way, obviously, you, you need for an internal combustion engine. But uh, you do need lubricants. So it, it's good that we would have um, net zero lubricants going forward. They, they plan to avoid emissions to reduce emissions. And one of the ways they're reducing emissions is by, in the bottles that they use, they're using recycled plastic or a lot more recycled plastic in the containers for the oil. And then they offset emissions by buying uh, carbon offsets. So that's their plan at Pennzoil and uh, probably a good one. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. I'm, I'm frankly surprised that it took them this long to kind of come around to this, uh, you know, especially with Packaging, as you mentioned, it seems like that's a no-brainer to to kind of take a step forward. But uh, good for them. 
Yeah, so and I'm in favor of that. There is big news if you like uh, pickup trucks, and particularly if you care about electric pickup trucks. And that is a market that is apparently going to catch fire uh, as all these introductions come on board uh, over the course of, I guess, the next 18 months or so. Uh, Ford is the latest to announce the name of their electric uh, F-150. We've heard rumors of this and uh, maybe some confirmation from Ford over time, but they're calling it, oddly enough, the Lightning. I wonder where they got that one, huh, Chris? Well, it's certainly not the same truck it was in the 90s, that's for sure. Right. They, they say that the electric uh, Lightning will be faster than uh, the previous Lightning, which was anything but electric-powered and low emissions. Uh, it was uh, kind of a wild truck, and I, I think brought a lot of glory to uh, the Ford F-150. And certainly the F-150 is very, very critical to Ford Motor Company's continued success. Uh, it is their best-selling vehicle, and basically the franchise. It is a franchise player for them. On May 19th, they will be introducing this new truck to the world at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And you can catch it practically everywhere. I think it's going to run on my uh, watch, for example. Uh, it's going to be on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. If you're standing in Times Square or on Las Vegas Boulevard, you'll be able to see the unveiling. It's just going to be a, a big deal. Yeah, I think they really, they did a, they hit a home run with the naming. I mean, you can, you can go back to the Mustang Mach-E and, you know, all the criticism it took for being called a Mustang. I think this is probably going to end up being the exact opposite. It's such a clever reuse of that old name. Uh, and if the truck is anywhere near as good as uh, everybody thinks it'll be, you know, uh, Jim Farley, Ford CEO, has already said that it'll be able to power your house in a power outage and uh, will have great range and capabilities. So uh, I'm excited for it. It'll, it'll be great to see, you know, Ford against Rivian coming up this year and then next year with the GMC Hummer and then maybe the year after that or even later next year, the Silverado electric vehicle. So uh, really, really excited to see this segment pick up. Absolutely. You mentioned Jim Farley. He's a guy I've known since he was at Toyota quite a long time ago. And uh, a no-nonsense guy, I can tell you that. And it's, this will be a big test for him as Ford president. I fairly recently anointed as Ford president and CEO. And getting the Lightning launched uh, properly is uh, something that I think uh, will be a, a good test for him. And I, I'm sure he will pass with flying colors because he's a very talented guy. So we'll, we'll look for that on May 19th. And when we come back, we'll be uh, talking about a couple interesting vehicles. We try to have interesting vehicles, of course, for you every week. But the Toyota Venza, I think, is particularly interesting with what uh, Toyota has done with that vehicle. And uh, the Nebrad family was safely ensconced in the Lexus LX570 for the better part of a week. So we'll tell you about that when we come back. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nebrad. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nebrad with you for Road Test Time. And uh, we're always excited about Road Test Time because this is something we uh, love to do. We're passionate about testing vehicles. And Chris, you had an interesting vehicle. Maybe it wasn't interesting in the past, but certainly is interesting now. Tell us a bit about the Toyota Venza. Well, I, if I recall correctly, just a few months ago, you were making fun of me for enjoying the original Venza, uh, <laughs> which is very much an, an empty nester mobile at that point in time. I was. Uh, I did make fun of you. And uh, I have now come over to your side, having driven this most recent Venza. Because I think uh, Toyota has done some remarkably interesting things with it. And uh, one of the things is making it fully hybrid. So let's hear about it. 
I totally agree. Uh, I tested the mid-range XLE trim. The MSRP here is just a little bit under $40,000. Now, there are three trims, uh, the LE, XLE, and Limited. And one of my favorite things about this vehicle is that even if you opt for the cheapest LE model, which is right around uh, $34,000, you still get a lot of the upscale features. I think you get wireless charging, get Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, um, power liftgate, a lot of the things that other manufacturers sort of hold back for the upper trim levels, you get a lot of that in the entry model. So you don't feel like you have to go all the way to the top trim to get some of the goodies. But as you mentioned, this is a fully hybrid uh, vehicle line. So every model has a 2.5 liter four cylinder engine uh, paired with an electric motor and batteries to make 219 horsepower. And the best thing about it is it gets around 39 miles per gallon combined. I drove uh, the entire week uh, to school, to the grocery stores, short road trips here and there, and only ended up using a quarter of a tank of fuel, and that's for uh, right around 200 miles. And I'm not going to say we'll get 800 miles out of the tank, but uh, quite a bit of range just out of the, the little bit of fuel that I used. Uh, inside this model, the XLE has it has leather interior, no sunroof, but a, a very nice uh, eight-inch touchscreen. It also, like I mentioned, runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, wireless smoke, uh, phone charging. And uh, I'm going to bring up my height here, Jack, because I can't make the point without it. But... Of course, and uh, <laughs> we wouldn't want you to. Yeah, uh, so I'm six feet tall, right around 210 pounds. And the front cabin of the vehicle, for me, felt a little bit tight. I don't know, Jack, if you uh, felt the same way. There's plenty of backseat space. But one thing I found in the front cabin was once the I found my driving position, adjusted the steering wheel, my knees were constantly in contact with the center console on one side and the door on the other. And I really just felt a little bit boxed in, but the seat itself and the headroom were both very comfortable and very generous. So what did you think of the seats in the front uh, seating position? You know, I really don't remember feeling boxed in. I am 5'11", uh, and I guess around 190 or so. So uh, now that we have the tail of the tape on us, <laughs> you probably have the reach on me if we were to get in the ring. But I didn't feel confined in it. So it's interesting that a one-inch difference in height and a little uh, difference in, in weight uh, makes that difference. You're, you're probably just more muscular than I am, Chris. <laughs> We'll, we'll call it muscle, but I, I might just be a little bit wider than you in general. Um, but yeah, as I said, the seats themselves are very comfortable. Um, the, the frontward visibility is great. Visibility out of either sides is also very good. But the vehicle, if you look at it in a photo or if you look at it on the street, you'll notice there's a sloping roof and a really sleek door line. They call it the belt line that comes up to meet the roof. And one thing I found is that, especially... Uh, with car seats and kids in the back, there is some reduction in rear visibility, especially to the three quarters, so right three quarters and passenger side three quarters. Other than that, the interior is extremely nice. Uh, one, I was talking with a colleague the other day about it. It's very close to a Lexus in both style and materials quality, which I think is a big step up for a vehicle, especially for a Toyota that costs, you know, like I said, less than 40 grand. Um, on the road, very smooth, pretty quiet. On the highway, there's more noise and wind noise that comes in that I would like, but uh, as I mentioned, stellar fuel economy, comfortable ride, and uh, though it prioritizes economy over performance, there's more than enough pickup to get out in the traffic, to reach highway speeds, and to pass. Uh, I just wouldn't expect any drag race victories anytime soon. Um, so all around, I, I think it's a very comfortable vehicle. Uh, great for a family of four. I probably would opt for a larger vehicle if I had five people uh, or a, a ton of cargo to carry, but again, very comfy. You know, I liked it a lot, and I think they have really transformed the Benza, and I, I agree totally with the, the way you characterize it. Uh, 
What they have done to me is turn this into uh, a specialty SUV, kind of like a Ford Edge, I would say, or a Nissan Murano. I think those are competitive vehicles to this. Uh, it's styled nicely on the exterior. And then the all hybrid all the time thing uh, puts it in a kind of a, it takes it to a different level. Uh, and a very positive level. I like the drivability of the vehicle a lot. It, and it's gone from one that I kind of chuckled about and uh, chided you about to one that I'd absolutely consider as a vehicle for myself. I think it's a, a pretty cool vehicle. Yeah, you know, you, so I've been talking about the efficiency and how it's prioritized over performance. And I, I also tried to mention that it's not necessarily slow, but I think that's a, a point that can't be understated. The efficiency of this vehicle with the space that it has inside is tremendous. So very high marks for Toyota on that one. Yeah, well, we'll see if we have high marks for the Lexus LX570 that the NERAD family drove uh, over the course of the last week. Uh, Lexus bills it as the quintessential luxury utility vehicle of the Lexus flagship range. That is almost a direct quote from them. And I, I think it's very true in a lot of ways. And then uh, the interesting thing about the LX570 to me is it's split personality. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean it in a very positive way. But uh, this is a super luxurious vehicle. It has all of the luxury stuff that you would want. Uh, but at the same time, it's an all-terrain vehicle. This is definitely an off-road vehicle. Underneath, this is the Toyota Land Cruiser, uh, essentially. So it's built on the same platform, essentially the same vehicle in, in many, many ways. So it has this... Uh, off-road personality that is vastly different than, say, a Cadillac Escalade or something like that, uh, uh, which might seem like a logical competitor, but uh, I couldn't imagine taking an Escalade off-road in the same way that I would take this LX570 off-road. Of course, uh, during the course of shuttling my family around for our, our daughter's graduation, uh, we didn't go off-road. Uh, I think we went into a dirt parking lot here and there uh, to get brunch. Uh, kind of a different thing. But uh, certainly it, it filled the bill as an around-town vehicle as well. I think maybe you give away a little bit of vehicle comfort for the off-road capabilities, but uh, not to any uh, negative effect, really. Uh, plenty of power under the hood, of course. 5.7-liter V8, uh, normally aspirated V8, 383 horsepower. Plenty of torque, 403 pound-feet of torque. All of that going through an eight-speed automatic transmission. You have full-time four-wheel drive uh, with a Torsen limited slip differential, which doesn't make a whole bunch of difference uh, when you're in normal driving, uh, largely, but uh, that was all good. And it's rated to tow up to 7,000 pounds. So that's something uh, that's very, very valuable. As I say, a, a little bit of split personality because some of the appearance options and the appearance packages are, are kind of antithetical to going off-road. And by that, I mean, you know, 21-inch wheels with low-profile tires and those kind of things, uh, a little bit uh, contradictory to a body-on-frame structure, which the vehicle has, and its multi-terrain system. Uh, the system has uh, adapts to five different types of terrain, and I'll read them off to you here. There's rock, rock and dirt, which is different than rock. There's mogul, hmm, I know that in skiing, not sure what that means in, in this sense. Loose rock and mud and sand, mud and sand being one thing. 
So uh, I didn't really test that a whole bunch <laughs> during this the course of this thing, and I don't think that most LX570 owners will will test that much either. But uh, it's there for you. It has low range gearing, so you can do rock crawling in a way that you wouldn't even think to do in an Escalade or a big Lincoln or a Lincoln Navigator or something like that. And yet this is a very comfortable vehicle on the road as well. And like I say, filled with luxury features. It has a 14-way power adjustable driver's seat. The poor passenger only has 12-way adjustments. I'm not sure what, what those two ways that they're missing are, but it's a giant shortfall, I'm sure. The uh, upholstery is semi-aniline leather, not full aniline, but semi-aniline, and uh, that's just fine. I kid, semi-aniline is a very high-quality leather and well-finished. And it was just uh, had great stuff. It has the luxury package has the climate concierge feature that monitors the temperature in four separate zones and adjusts even things like the temperature of the steering wheel. Well, that's that's kind of taking it quite far. What's your take on all this, uh, Chris? I'll just say that I'm waiting for the world's first cooled steering wheel. Heated steering wheels are nice, but I'd love to have air conditioning on, on my hands. Um, <laughs> I will say that I think your dirt parking lot adventure is uh, analogous to how most people use their, their, their Lexus. I don't think many people are taking them off-road, but if you do choose to do that, it is one of the few, as you mentioned, that can. Uh, the funny thing here is that even though the Land Cruiser is being discontinued, I believe, after the 2021 model year, at least for a couple of years, uh, the LX570 will continue on. Uh, but I'm a huge uh, uh, Land Cruiser and 570 fanboy. Um, I do believe there's a purpose for them. I think that the people that buy them don't always put them to that purpose. But as you mentioned, it's always nice to know that you can go deep into the woods if you choose to do so. Absolutely. And I think there is some Range Rover uh, competitor in uh, the LX570, that uh, super luxurious interior combined with this uh, incredible ability to go off-road that uh, we didn't test all that much, but uh, we did have a good time with this vehicle. One more thing I want to add before we get out on the LX570 uh, is the fact that they have really improved the um, whole infotainment interface. Uh, it has a 12.3-inch navigation display and this overall display, so you can split that screen into three sections to show different functions. It may be not as intuitive as uh, Uconnect in the uh, Stellantis vehicles, for example, or s some of the GM products, uh, but still a, a much improved system. So if you've hesitated about LX before, don't hesitate on, on that score at all. And I think anybody who buys uh, the Lexus LX570 will uh, find themselves in a very versatile, luxurious vehicle. And I guess that's what they want. Yeah, and you can't beat the uh, predicted reliability and the bulletproof nature of that powertrain. So uh, I, I would recommend it if you, if you need an off-road luxury vehicle. That's the one to have. Absolutely. I'm quite with you. And when we come back... Uh, we will be taking your listener questions, so stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, Jack Nered with you, and we thank you very much for listening to America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nered back with you. And it's listener question time. We love to take your listener questions. We'd love to take your questions, and I imagine since you're a listener, that would be classed as a listener question. Uh, it's easy to get them to us. Just send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com. We'll try to answer your question on an upcoming show. Uh, we essentially promise to do that if it's a good question. 
And uh, here's a good question. This came from uh, Leo. Leo is in Des Moines, Iowa. And he asked this question. With gas prices going up, is this a good time to buy a performance car like a Mustang Mach 1 or a Dodge Challenger? What's your take on that, Chris? What do you think? <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball, but it's going to be easy to say that gas prices probably won't stay where they are or keep climbing forever. I'd say probably with two big asterisks around that. If you recall, the last time gas prices climbed, people sort of gravitated more towards compact cars and economy or hybrid cars. And since gas has been cheap for so long, people have been out buying Mustangs and Challengers and trucks and SUVs. Um, I would say if you want to buy a performance car and the gas prices are still climbing, you might be able to use that to your advantage, depending on how many other people are shying away from buying those vehicles. Uh, obviously, both are quite popular, but uh, you may be able to snag a deal. I guess that's completely up to you. Uh, but if you're buying one of those two cars, you're probably not super concerned about fuel consumption in the first place. So um, I'd say budget a little bit more for fuel and go for it if that's what you want. Yeah, this could be a, a very good time to buy a performance car like that, that uh, not necessarily known for sipping gasoline, right? Maybe uh, consuming a little more gasoline than the average car out there, a Mustang Mach 1. I had a chance to test those fairly recently and uh, was quite excited by uh, the performance of the Mach 1. Very, very cool. And of course, we love the Dodge Challenger various iterations for a long, long time. Certainly gas prices going up sends people away. It just turns them off for a minute. And all, the, all that takes, that's all it takes really to um, get yourself a pretty good deal on one of these vehicles. So uh, I would think yeah, it's, it might be a, a good time. Certainly if gas prices remain high for say a month or two, it would be a particularly good time to uh, buy one of these vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. And both, as you mentioned, are, are quite fun depending on the configuration you get. So Go for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. And uh, here's another quick question. We might as well try and uh, wedge this one in before the time is up for this segment. If I buy a car online, will I get as good a deal as I would if I went into a dealership? This is from Faye in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What do you what do you think about that? I think the answer depends on where you buy it online, but the answer is absolutely it's possible. Um, and the time and hassle you might save from going to the dealership, depending on if you're the type of person that likes to haggle for the things that you buy, then by all means, go to the dealership. But where a lot of people don't enjoy that, the, you know, the online prices are comparable, if not better than dealership prices in a lot of cases. Yeah, a lot of times the dealer will put its best foot forward with an online price because they want to get you in the door, certainly. And uh, they're not going to do that with an overly high price. At the same time, I think if you are a very shrewd negotiator, you might get a better deal if you go into the dealership and negotiate a bit. I think probably the online price is, say, a, a somewhat high good price, if you know, below MSRP certainly, but uh, maybe a little bit higher than you could get if you uh, really tried to work it a bit. And maybe that's worth it to you or maybe not. So uh, a good question. Again, we're answering it with kind of a maybe. Uh, but uh, that's that's the truth of it, which is what we try to deliver to you. Absolutely. For me, buying buying from my couch would be a huge benefit and might outweigh a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks of discount in person, but everybody is their own uh, decision maker. So Absolutely, and we're happy about that. Uh, that's the American way, isn't it? So we're in favor of that, certainly. In the next segment, we will be talking with Trevor Lai. He is the uh, manager of product planning at Hyundai. We're going to be talking about the 2022 Hyundai Tucson. 
a much improved vehicle this time around. So we'll talk with him about that at some length. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And we're very glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad with you. And uh, we are on location somewhere outside Tucson, Arizona, which is very apropos because we are driving the all-new 2022 Hyundai Tucson. And with me is a guy who knows more about it than I'd say anybody on the planet. His name is Trevor, Trevor Lai. He's the manager of product planning at Hyundai Motor America. Trevor, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Jack. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for uh, hosting this thing, too. We had some, some fun already with the, uh, the Tucson, driving an on-road, off-road, dirt roads, every kind of cr- crazy stuff. This strikes me as a, a big product for you uh, for a couple of reasons. One is Tucson's the number one seller for, for Hyundai. Talk a bit about that, and then we can dive into some other stuff. Yeah, you know, at Hyundai, you know, we've had a, a great product lineup so far, right? We're intr- introducing more and more models. First, um, I think the, mo- the most important model for us historically has been the Sonata. It's been our sales leader for, for quite a long time. And now with the shift to crossovers, Tucson's now taking that mantle to the point where it's now going to be produced in two plants just to keep up with uh, the demand. And you jumped on the SUV thing, the crossover thing, pretty early on. Uh, at least uh, against some of your competitors, particularly the Europeans, I think. That's really worked out for you, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's the shift where, where people are going these days. That's what people want. That's, that's what they keep on buying more and more CUVs. So what we've been doing here at Hyundai, especially for the CUVs, because I am the product manager not only for Tucson, but for most of the crossovers here at Hyundai, uh, we've tried to introduce as much as we can into the market with as much te- relevant technology for our customers uh, to drive forward our sales progress. So you have an all-new top seller, potential top seller, in your uh, arsenal now with the, with the new t- uh, Tucson. Tell me the overall thinking going in developing this one. What, what you wanted to do versus the, the previous one, which was obviously a success. Yes, the previous one, I, I remember launching that product as well quite some time ago, and it was a, it was a great product and everyone loved it couple of the feedback items that we got back from our consumers, uh, the main one was um, interior and cargo space. Now, if you were to look at the specifications of the current outgoing Tucson, it is a little smaller, a little more compact. It drove very, very well, and even the new one still carries that piece of it forward. But what we've done a little bit different this time is create a lot more interior space for the consumer. And in doing so, it reduces the uh, rejection, any rejection reasons any, or any objections they may have to considering in Tucson. And the easiest place to see that larger interior is actually the cargo space. It has up to um, 10 more cubic feet in the cargo area for just a little over 41 cubic feet. So it's, a, it's largest in class now for cargo space. So you can fit whatever you would like in that vehicle. So you kinda, uh, you've gone to two platforms for the Tucson, right? Uh, a longer wheelbase version, which gives you that interior space. Right, so what we've done with Tucson is actually the same platform with two different wheelbases. Yeah. And what we have here in the United States, of course, we like everything a bit bigger, of course. Our roads are a bit bigger, our country's a bit bigger, and so are the people. Are people. Yeah. Exactly, right. the people are bigger and we carry more stuff here. So we've gone and uh, secured the longer wheelbase for the United States market. And a couple other markets are taking the longer wheelbase as well. 
you may see a shorter wheelbase version, particularly in Europe, for example. Uh, I think that's the one that you're referencing. And that one's about 100 millimeters shorter in the wheelbase. And a smaller vehicle, I think, makes sense more for European streets. That may be a bit more narrow, for example. Right. Narrow and, you know, very difficult parking places and all, all of those things going on. So how long is the, the new Tucson? I'd have to take a look in th at the exact uh, dimensions of it. Um, it's, it's quite a bit longer than competitors. I don't have the exact number with me. But what I can say is, you know, um, it is actually, I take that back. It's not the longest in the segment. However, when you get inside, the interior is the largest. And so what we've done is carved out more interior space uh, for the consumer, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and design is part of that. Uh, let's let's talk a bit about the design. Really expressive, I would say, right? I mean, uh, exterior design uh, gets your attention. It's not like every other vehicle. I would say if there was one criticism of the previous Tucson, it was it kind of blended into the woodwork. It was not a bad looking vehicle, but it wasn't distinctive. Absolutely. it's, it's the, the previous vehicle, I think, was current for its time when it first came out. It represented a pretty big leap up uh, when we first introduced that Tucson. Um, we recall our, our experience with a, a Sonata a few generations ago um, where we came out with the Sonata and everyone loved it. And we found out in that research that people were buying that vehicle not only for practical reasons, as you might expect for a mid-size sedan, but for emotional reasons. They saw that Sonata, they liked the way it looked, and they invented reasons to, to get it. It's like, ah, I kind of need a new car anyway, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and buy it. So we wanted to carry that momentum and that type of thinking into the new Tucson. And what you see, that expressiveness that you see, is something that helps it set, up, set it apart from other competitors in the segment. As you mentioned, it's a crowded segment. It's a lot, a lot of people are buying these vehicles, subcompact SUVs, but a lot of them out there are quite bland. We needed to stand out in an expressive way to get eyeballs on the vehicle, and it's something that you'll be happy with once you buy it through the years of your ownership. How would you characterize the styling? How would you describe uh, the exterior styling? Uh, I think the best word I would probably use is edgy. Right? You see a lot of sharp creases um, in the sheet metal, and that's something that we work closely with our uh, vertically integrated supply. Right? We, we, we're affiliated, company-owned right, with uh, Hyundai Steel. So we have access to a lot of uh, steel-making processes um, that our competitors may not have. You might see more rounded corners from other competitors. That's because they don't have as, as advanced metallurgy as we do. So that gives us the ability to have something that's a lot different than competitors. I mean, I look at the body side stampings and go, how do they do that? <laughs> you know, right. and it seems pretty uh, out there in, in terms of the, you know, what's, what's available, right? Right, it's, it's out there, but not so, it's not so out there where it's gonna turn people off. We, right. we didn't want, you know, styling that was going to be so polarizing. Cause like you mentioned, it's, it's supposed to be the volume leader for our company now. So it can't be completely out there. It also has uh, strong haunches, you know, kind of muscular look over the wheels, both front and rear, actually. Talk, talk a bit about that. Yes, yeah, so the, the, the stance of the vehicle that you're talking about, Jack, is it's one of those things where it looks like it's almost moving, even though it's standing still, right? It has an appearance where it almost looks like it's it's leaning forward into the wind and is ready to go at a moment's notice. And that kind of energy is something that we wanted to have in the styling to help drive that positive uh, ownership experience for, for again, the, the shoppers not be considering this vehicle. Right, front end. A lot of people describe front ends as being the faces of the vehicle. In, in, 
Uh, you know, I think uh, I heard your stylist, uh, your uh, head designer on this, talk a bit about the front end and mm -hmm. describe it as not really necessarily having a face or not like a human face with eyes and nose right. and a mouth. Tell us a bit about that. I, th I thought that was pretty interesting. I think one of the things that you'll notice most about the vehicles, uh, particularly the ones that you're seeing here today, um, we have uh, a very uh, dark chrome grill. In it by itself, dark chrome grill, it's already great. But what we've done, we've gone ahead and created the additional expense when you turn the vehicle on, you have DRLs that light up from behind that dark grill. It yeah. just kind of Daytime appears. running lights. Exactly. And it just appears behind the grill as if it were, it were magic. So when you see something like that in your rearview mirror, you're kind of like, whoa, that's something I've never seen before. That looks great. And that's the kind of reaction that we're trying well, to Well, it really looks premium. And, and that's the, 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 uh, the word I would use to describe a lot of this vehicle. Yes. I mean, it's really class above or more than class above. I mean, Daytime running lights is just one example of, you know, probably at least half a dozen I would point to yes. in this vehicle. Uh, talk a bit about some of those things, if you would. Um, the class above piece is, is really all-encompassing. It extends not only from, from the styling that you see there. We have LED tail lamps, for example, on that. We have a, um, not only 19-inch wheels, but a wide application of 19-inch wheels. In fact, the majority of our builds will have the more stylish 19-inch uh, wheels. And and for us, you know, we, you know you're talking about... You know, appealing to a wide audience, right? Buyers of our new Tucson, um, we're finding in this segment, you have two types of buyers. These are folks that might be um, in their life stage where they're dating a significant other, or we are finding on the other end, um, folks that are empty nesters and they want something that's easy to man maneuver, but still have enough room inside to carry all their things for arts and crafts and that nature. Right. And, and they want a tall vehicle as opposed to a sedan. Exactly. Tall vehicle as opposed to sedan, and, and one of the great things about Tucson is this entry height. You can get in and out of the thing very easily. You're not climbing up, you're not climbing down, you're just scooting over from, from where you're standing. And so that, that ingress-egress point, uh, entry and exit um, into the car, makes it really easy for a wide variety of people to, to get into it. So we have features that appeal to, you know, upper-end features that will appeal to those empty nesters, and we have features that, you know, standard safety features that'll help, you know, on, on our, on our um, more entry-level uh, Tucsons as well. Well, let's dive into that, you know, bringing up safety, because uh, there <laughs> seems to be a safety battle. I mean, all the brands are bringing out their own array of safety equipment. Tell us what Hyundai is offering in the new Tucson. Well, we have a lot um, this time around. Uh, for collision avoidance, for example, with pedestrian detection, that's now standard. We'll be introducing, uh, standardizing uh, blind spot collision avoidance a little bit later in the year. And that's the, the feature that we have for the blind spot system is a little bit different than in the past. Before, you just have a warning that would just beep when you stray from your lane. What we do have now is an assist feature, that's why we call it blind collision avoidance, not just warning. It will actually pull you back in the lane if you continue to stray out of your lane and there's someone in your blind spot. So we've taken that step and improved that technology, again, for the betterment of, of our consumers. And uh, you have display on the dash too, uh, with blind spot, right? To, to Yes. Um, let people our, know what's going on there. So we have uh, on, our, on our vehicles, we have a 360 camera system, right, or, or surround view camera. And primarily we use that for parking situations, right? You kind of have like a uh, above the vehicle view as you're moving in and out of a tight parking spot, for example. But what we've done is expanded that, um, that system. The cameras are already there, right, in that particular system. So what you were doing is uh, for um, lane change maneuvers, you'll just hit your turn signal and you still have your blind collision avoidance system there, so that's still a safety net. But you also have a live camera feed from those um, uh, cameras mounted in the uh, side view mirrors to let you see what's in that blind spot. So you have the radar sensor that'll pull you back, 
but you also have this camera as well for additional measure of assurance to see right. what's and in it's place. showing up on the instrument panel uh, right in front of you right in front of you our, yeah. our large and a quarter inch display cluster um, that'll show up right there directly in front of you. right well let's talk a bit about displays I mean I, I think in your up-level vehicles and a lot of vehicles you have the the ten and a quarter you have two ten and a quarter inch uh, displays that's right? right and again that's a really a class above or more kind of feature it's a it's almost a luxury uh, type feature right, right. You know, for our, our, we'll start first with the, uh, the 10 and quarter inch navigation system. It's a full flush display. And the 10 and quarter inch display there is not just about size, it's about resolution, it's about color, it's about accuracy and the experience of, of, of driving the vehicle. When you're going down the road and you want to change uh, radio station, for example, you can do that, of course, on the steering wheel controls. But if you want to go to the screen, it's easier to hit a button on the screen. Now, the technology also spread to your point about the cluster, instrument cluster. It's the one behind the steering wheel, of course. And that one's also 10 and a quarter inches. And unlike what a lot of competitors are doing, some competitors might have this feature. Not going to lie. It's there. But they're reserving it for the very, very top build. Right. What we're doing at Hyundai is we're expanding that build um, down into the grade walk quite a way so that a majority of Tucson buyers will actually be able to enjoy this feature. Yeah, and it's interesting to me too that the resolution—I think it's the resolution, the brightness, both—are are so great that you really don't have to hood it, uh, and that's a, something I had not seen before. That's right, and, and without a hood, uh, we can actually drive down that display a bit further down, and what that does is that it offers the driver a more expansive view of the road ahead. You no longer have a meter cluster blocking that view, or if you're in the condition that you have a shorter driver, for example, they no longer have to necessarily struggle to see over a meter hood they can just easily see out of the vehicle. So it's very, very multifunctional in that regards. And one cool feature, I don't know if you had a chance to check out yet, is actually you can select several, I think four different types of displays, uh, appearances or graphics for that digital displays to customize uh, the one that you like the best. Yeah, I'll have to try that. And I'll have to figure out which one I, I do. <laughs> I'll, I'll look for that. What are some of the other interior features that you think are, are really home runs for you, where you really did something really good. Well, there are so many. When do I start, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned uh, a cut above earlier, right? Some of the luxury features. And one of the features that we find uh, particularly, uh, for example, from our Genesis division, right? We drew a lot of inspiration from that and saying, hey, how can we democratize more of these features? So one of them is actually an interior lighting system. Now out here in the, in the bright, you know, Arizona sun, we're not going to be able to see it. But at night, should you be able to take a look inside the vehicle, we have interior LED lighting that's uh, in the lower area of the instrument or the, uh, the center stack, for example, right? So that helps that interior ambience of that interior. And you get to choose whatever color you want as well. We also now have two different uh, sunroof configurations for our Tucson. In our previous uh, Tucson and the one before that, actually, uh, we have a, a panoramic roof, and that served us really well. It's a very high demand option. So we knew we had to retain that feature. But what we did find was a lot of competitors also, um, they usually run a conventional sunroof and they were able to put that on a lot more vehicles. Now, a panoramic roof, as great as it is, it is a heavy feature. And as a, as a company, we always have to bear in mind fuel economy targets, right, cafe, right? And so what we wanted to do was offer two different sunroofs to further expand um, our buyer, our shopper base, right? We understand in this particular segment, uh, 
Tucson and its competitors, uh, it's, um, uh, we, it has the highest number of female drivers. And we, what we heard from our uh, female shoppers that rejected Tucson was it was because we didn't have a sunroof. So now with two different sunroofs, we're able to cover a larger spread of Tucson's. Was it you didn't have a sunroof at their price point or you didn't have a sunroof that was uh, appropriate for them? Or what we could the, not what apply that many uh, panoramic sunroofs just due to fuel economy impact. Because it. it's such okay. so it's such a large piece of glass that goes back, okay. and so now so we it's a lot heavier than the sheet metal roof would be. Basically, uh, it, there there talking. is it's not that much heavier, but for the purposes of fuel economy and regulations, it makes a difference. Yeah, yep, it all makes a difference, doesn't it? Talk a bit about the control. Uh, we we talked a little bit about them, but uh, the controls seem to be uh, easy to access. They are uh, very intuitive. Walk us through all that. Well, one of the greatest features that we have that's new for Tucson is our digital key. You're talking about access, getting into the vehicle. So you have a couple different ways to get um, into the vehicle. Well, three different ways, if you will, right? So the first, of course, is your normal proximity key. And I think uh, consumers are pretty uh, acclimated to that by now. You can leave your key in your pocket or your purse. You just carry it with you. Open the door, easy, start the car, dump, fumble around with the key. Well, we've gone ahead now with the new Tucson. Uh, we introduced this, I believe, with our um, new Sonata, and you see it in our Elantra as well. It's a digital key access. So you have a couple ways you can do this. One is um, through an NFC card you can buy at your Hyundai dealership. And it's almost like a, uh, a touch type of card that you would use at a hotel room, for example, right? Touch it to the door, you open the, open the car, right. and you're in. You can start the vehicle. Or now we also have the ability with the, an Android device, you can touch your phone to the door handle, unlock the car that way, and then start the car uh, once you dock your phone into the uh, wireless charger. So near-field communications, and it's very secure, too. I mean, that and that's critical, right, uh, to keeping that secure? Absolutely. It's a rolling code encryption, from what I understand, from our engineering team, so it's a secure way to get in and out of your vehicle. Let's talk a bit about the uh, the lift back. Uh, you have a, a different way of, of doing the, the automatic lift back that I think is... Uh, <laughs> Pretty good thinking. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, it's strange for a, 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 a lift gate, some seemingly, you know, a sheet of metal with a piece of glass in it. How, how much more innovation, you know, can you get with that, right? So what we introduced with our last generation Tucson and continued into our new Tucson is a hands-free type system. And it's different from our other competitors in the sense that you don't have to wave your foot underneath the vehicle and hope it works, right? If you're if you're if you imagine you know it's it's Christmas time you know or it's it's post COVID you're you're back shopping for a lot of Christmas gifts you're holding a lot of bags and whatnot do you really want to be balancing on one foot to to try and get into the into your Tucson no so all you have to do um, with the Tucson is if you have your uh, proximity key with you um, you walk up to the vehicle to the rear of the vehicle the rear of the Tucson uh, within three feet of the tailgate for three seconds and the tailgate will automatically open it's that simple yeah love it. Love it. We should talk about powertrain because there's a big powertrain story here. Three separate powertrains, actually. Tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so with our previous Tucson, we had a two-liter engine uh, putting out about 160-ish, 164 horsepower or so. And then we had an optional engine that was about 180 or so horsepower. And what we found from our consumers was that they just wanted one engine to go with. Uh, very easy. You don't have to think about it. So our base engine is now a two-and-a-half-liter four-cylinder engine, uh, and that's uh, available through our entire Tucson lineup. But the story, to your point, is um, is really the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid variants, right? So um, the, the hybrid variant gets up to 38 miles per gallon, and that includes our standard H-Track all-wheel drive. So that represents a 12-mile-per-gallon combined increase over the gasoline variant. That's a very big spread. Some of our other competitors... And plus you have all-wheel drive, which would knock down the fuel economy. Exactly, exactly. So that's a, that's a very, very big spread there. 
Um, that one's that one's my favorite personally. The, the hybrid powertrain, I like that one a lot, and it's at a great price point. You know, we have it available. Uh, uh, what we've done, what we've done, is to offer the hybrid um, builds as similar as we can to the gasoline. So, if for a customer that's shopping, it makes it really easy. Um, just choose a powertrain, and our and our powertrain premium. Uh, you have to check the pricing later, of course, in our press kit. But I believe the the pricing is only about uh, twelve fifty. $1,250 difference between a similarly equipped gasoline model. So it should make the choice pretty easy for those who want uh, that type of flexibility. Lastly, we do have our plug-in hybrid variant that'll be coming out later in the year. And uh, that one is, uh, is over 260 horsepower in output. Um, so quite a bit of power also included with that is our H-Track all-wolf drive system. And the key takeaway there is up to 32 miles of all electric range. So particularly those you know who live not too far away from work, you can charge it at home, charge it at work, all electric. Tell me how you settle on 32 miles of all-electric range. Uh, that, that strikes me as the, the big conundrum when you're looking at uh, plug-in hybrids. How big to make that battery? How much range should you offer? You have the trade-off of cost and weight to deal with. How do you, how do you arrive at a number? <laughs> so well, we've, we've planned, uh, as you might imagine, right? Uh, vehicle planning takes place you know, four, five, six, seven years down the line, right? So, um, and it's, you kind of almost have to uh, aim for the stars to hit the moon, in a sense, right? When, you, when you're developing a vehicle. So when we, st when we first started looking at this years ago, um, at the time, all electric range was barely cresting 20 miles of AER. And we knew by that time from, from the surveys that we had run and, and the research that we had done, it was that wasn't quite enough to make people switch. So we also knew that uh, people were switching from cars into SUVs. They were previously okay with uh, eco vehicles, you know, being a small hatchback, small liftback, a small car, for instance. But we knew if everyone's already going to SUVs, like I mentioned earlier, um, it's something that we needed to include in our new Tucson. And in doing so, uh, what we wanted to do was provide the most range possible uh, as we can. The longer wheelbase um, definitely helped with a larger, s more space for a larger battery pack, uh, for example. Um, and it, again, it's at a price point that, um, that uh, we think everyone will be pretty happy with as well. What about the two cents should I have asked that I haven't, Trevor? Well, we always like talking about our warranty, right? Yeah. 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. But, that, of course, that is for, for all Tucsons. You know, the Tucson is, is a very well-rounded vehicle. I think, again, a lot, of, a lot of different features that we have in the vehicle are, are going to help folks at different price points. You know, we have our ultrasonic rear occupant alert. Previously, we've only had it on our Santa Fe, our Palisade, but we hadn't dropped it to our, you know, uh, a volume vehicle. So we've done that now with our, uh, with our Tucson. Uh, so that, that, one, that safety feature, particularly those, you know, with young kids, that gives uh, a, great, a great peace of mind. So that's one, one piece uh, that I do like talking about. Another one is uh, wireless Android Auto and CarPlay. So for vehicles uh, with, our, with our standard 8-inch um, head unit, for example, um, doesn't matter if you have Android, an Android device or an iOS device, an iPhone, um, once you're synced up, you just enter your vehicle and CarPlay automatically appears on your cluster. So it's a very seamless integration that we have. Uh, for for that for that head unit. How soon can uh, people buy the new Tucson? I'm glad you asked because the Tucson is in dealerships right now. So um, that includes both the the hybrid and our gasoline uh, variants of our, our new Tucson. Our plug-in hybrid will be coming a little bit later in the year. Perfect. Well, Trevor Lai, thanks so much for talking with us. We do appreciate it. Trevor Lai of Hyundai. He is the manager of product planning there at Hyundai Motor America. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Jack. Appreciate it. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. That was our interview with Trevor Lai. He's manager of product planning, of course, at Hyundai, talking about the 2020.
to Hyundai Tucson. They've done a remarkably good job with that, according to me, uh, who's had a chance to drive it. So very, very cool. Somebody who always does a remarkably good job is Chris Teague. Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for the flattering words, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I will say, if you like what you heard, please go ahead and hit like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That will help us continue to grow and bring more people along for the ride. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you like the show, please pass it along to somebody you think might like to hear two guys talking about cars, which is what we do every week here on America on the Road. Uh, Our thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to Mercury Insurance for helping it happen. And we hope you join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.